I'm Lily. And I'm Sophie. And welcome to the Princeton Public Library's Teen Advisory Board podcast, Keeping Tabs. We interview authors about the writing process and what it means to be an author in 2023. Today we are here with Nicola Yoon, the number one New York Times bestselling author of Everything Everything, The Sun is Also a Star, and Instructions for Dancing. She is a National Book Award finalist, a Michael L. Prince Honor Book recipient, and a Coretta Scott King New Talent Award winner. Two out of her three books have been made into major motion pictures. Nicola Yoon and her husband, David Yoon, have recently launched an imprint with Random House Children's Books called Joy Revolution. The first release from this imprint, Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute by Talia Hibbert, was released on January 3rd, 2023. So hello, Nicola Yoon. It is so exciting to have you here. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I love your little introduction. It makes me feel, you know, good for like all the hard work that I always do. (laughs) Yes. Reading your books, we can tell that you put so much love and care into every single word. So I wanted to reflect that. For um, sure. And I know I can speak for both both of us when we say we've been big fans since middle school and having you on here is really, we really appreciate you taking your time. Uh, I'm always so glad when people like say that they've been reading since middle school. A lot of people say that like the book, everything, everything got them into reading. And I that's like the best compliment because I am such a big reading nerd and I just want everyone to join me. Yes, for sure. We, we are too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Our first question for you is that I love the main characters in your story so much, and it only takes one chapter with them for me to care about them and want the best for them. So how do you write unique and endearing main characters for readers to root for? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard because basically I'm always like, are you with myself in my own head? Right. So like, I think in monologue and dialogue, I do not think in pictures. And so the books always start from this place where I have a big question about life or something because I'm quite philosophical and like sort of annoying about it. Like I'm always the person that's like, what does it really mean? <laughs> and so the books start from that place. So for everything, everything, it starts from, you know, is love worth risking things for? Right. Um, and once you have that idea, like the characters just start to come that would fit into that world. Um, everything, everything started from my own experience as a new mom. And I saw Maddie just being trapped in this world. I was trapped when my little girl was born, right? Like I could not leave my house because she was tiny and I was so worried about her. Um, I thought she would, you know, crawl out of the house somehow. So it always starts from like a really, a real place, a place of questioning and a place of emotion. Um, And I think that comes across on the page because I really am thinking really deeply about them. And the characters are alive to me, right? Like while I'm writing the book, they are absolutely real people. Um, And so I try to make sure that that's on the page. And then for any writers that's listening, the first chapter that you see in the book is not really the first chapter I wrote, right? I revised the crap out of it. (laughs) And it might've been the third chapter. Um, So that's important to note too, is that, you know, all writing is rewriting. So um, it looks really good by the time you get the version on the shelf, but it was trash to begin with. I bet it wasn't trash. I think you're underestimating. I'm not trying to be modest. I promise you it was not good. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad it got to the place where it went because it's 
phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> and going off of Lily's idea about your main characters, each lead and even the side characters grow and change their outlook on the world. They're not static, they're super dynamic, and they flow throughout the flow of the novel. Um, as a result of all the conflict that they deal with? How do you write character development in the face of conflict in a way that feels authentic and genuine to the reader? Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of a similar thing because because the characters in the books are coming from like a place where I'm honestly asking a question, like I work my way through the question while I'm writing the book. So even if I don't come to an answer, I'm at least explored all facets of the question, right? And so honestly, that's what I make my characters do. I make them challenge their own assumptions or usually the love interest makes them challenge their own assumptions, right? Um, and the, the events that happen to them make them question it. And by the time you get to the end, you get changed by questioning as much as answers, I think, right? Ask all the questions, it changes you too, even if you never come to a conclusion. Um, and so that's where the characters go. They just sort of go through the world being curious. Um, and I think that is, I think the fact that I'm going through it at the same time is what makes it feel authentic, because honestly, I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'm writing these characters who feel the same way. That was so well put. I think me as a reader reading your books, I come out of your books changed. So it's definitely very organic the way you write your character growth, because I feel like I grow alongside your heroines. Oh, that's okay. Oh, yeah. Also, I love the way your books are structured. You title your chapters and your books include text message exchanges and lists and book reviews and other things like diagrams. So how did you cultivate this unique writing style that makes your books all the more compelling? Oh, yeah. So um, I'll tell you the story of Everything, Everything, which is I started writing that book um, I read it from 4 to 6 a.m. over the course of three years because I had a job and I had a new baby and I had no time to write. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 100 pages into it that I decided to include diagrams and all the other extra stuff because I, I felt like Maddie just needed something else. She was trapped in her house. She needed something else. And so it was like 4 a.m. and I'm writing away and I have this idea that she needed to like go to Hawaii and like the state fish. And I don't know why it just sort of popped into my brain. So um, I, <laughs> I went from my office to my husband who was still asleep. And I said, honey, can you please wake up and draw me the humuhumu nukunuku apua'a, which is the Hawaiian state fish. And David Yoon is the best boy in the world because that boy, <laughs> he woke up and he didn't ask anything. He's like, okay. And he like made some coffee <laughs> and, and then he drew the picture like that morning. And it's the picture that appeared in the book. And when I sent that first sort of act to my editor, she's like, I love this. Let's do more of this. And then it just opened up the world. It opened up Maddie's world and it just fit. Um, for the Sun is also a star. There are all those interstitials and like the history of the world and the history of the other characters. And also that fits. And it turns out as a writer, I like to break the form. Like I like to bring the rest of the world into it and break the format out of the novel. Um, I find it really interesting and I don't know why that's just like my particular. And I did the same thing in Instructions for Dancing where, you know, you sort of see Evie's, through Evie's eyes into the worlds of the, the people who are falling in love and falling out of love. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know why, like the books are just not done until I like do something that like, that's outside of the normal format. Um, that's my explanation. <laughs> I think for sure that's what adds to the draw of your books. I remember in middle school, I mean, as you said, it's like what got people into reading. I, I mean, I would say the same thing. I think as someone who was like reluctant to actually sit down and spend so much time reading a block of text, having it almost broken up by something that was more familiar, sorry, familiar and not necessarily so status quo that you would see in so many novels was so much of what drew myself and a lot of my sixth grade class. I remember this so vividly. <laughs> oh my God, there's a fish and an astronaut. Like, oh, that's weird. Like, why don't we look at that? I love that astronaut. That's my favorite. I <laughs> love the astronaut. I love the astronaut. We apparently my sixth grade class loves the astronaut too. <laughs> but I think I think that's a lot of what draws people to your books, which is I know really, really appreciated. Oh yeah. And you know, going off of that, how do you create a really engaging and adorable love interest for your main character and your readers to fall for? Because personally, I don't really read books unless there's like a little hint of romance. Like it's right. the littlest thing, but obviously your books are centered around a lot of romance. So how do you get to that? Yeah, okay. So there's two things. There's the fact that I think that love is a thing that powers the world. Like I feel like romance books get sort of denigrated a lot. You know, people sort of poo-poo it. It's like, oh, it's just a romance book. Well, number one, the romance industry is the biggest segment of the publishing industry. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, but more importantly, love is the thing that makes the world go round, right? Like it is the thing that everyone wants and is trying to get, or they've lost and it's broken their heart. Um you know, and I don't mean just like kissing someone in romantic love. I mean all of it, right? I mean family, your friends. I mean the work you do. Um, all of that stuff, like the community work you do, all of that's about love, right? So this is the force that makes the world go around. So I'm going to write about it. <laughs> like to me, it's, it's like, what else would you write about? Um, and then the, the next thing is that I am totally in love with my husband, <laughs> So we've been married for 20 years and I think he's the best. <laughs> and so like a lot of what the conversations in the books are honestly us talking because I said before that I was sort of a philosophical nerd and so is he. And so we like talk about things all the time. And I think the characters, the way they fall in love is they talk to each other, right? They really listen to each other. Um, and I think falling in love with someone else's brain and the way they see the world is like the sexiest thing besides, you know, a really cute voice. <laughs> I remember when I was researching for everything, everything, because Ollie does uh, parkour, I had to like watch videos of parkour and I like spent a whole day on YouTube watching these like super cute French boys do <laughs> parkour and I was like, this is research, <laughs> this is fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a combination of things. Like, I have a big love. I really believe in it. Um, and I love the, the thought of people falling in love with each other's ideas of the world and changing each other. So I think that's, I think that's how it works for my brain anyway. I think that's a really great point. And I, a lot of what we discuss on our podcast actually is the idea of insta-love, you know, where like you, the two characters meet and there's an instant connection that's not built on anything. But I think the idea of instead of falling in love with the person who walks into the cafe or whatever, it's instead falling in love with their mind and their words and their thoughts, which I think is so expressed wonderfully through your books. And as someone who has read your husband's novels without realizing he was your husband, 
when I put them together, I, I realized the parallel in the way that the characters love, which I think was such an interesting connection to draw that I really only realized a couple months ago when I reread my copy of Frankly in Love. So I think that that idea that you have both mirrored so wonderfully is really what makes my sixth grade class. So <laughs> yeah, and I mean, David is, is so brilliant. And honestly, we met in graduate school um, in our very first writing workshop together. And one of the things I noticed about it, like first I thought he was cute, but he had a girlfriend. So I was like, oh, off limits. <laughs> and then the second thing was he was a terrific writer. Like I fell in love with his writing. And then we were friends for two years, his girlfriend, um, but they broke up like a year into it. And then we were friends for another year and then we started dating. But yeah, I mean, you know, love is love is a thing. I th and David thinks that too. For sure. And, you know, obviously going off of that, how do you do it? Like, how do you, you already touched upon this a little, but how do you write romances with relationship development that feels realistic and organic that even as a reader gets older, they can relate to when they experience something similar? Yeah, I mean, it's still all about like the conversations and the ideas, right? Like, don't you love it when someone challenges your notion of the world or says something that you would never thought of or like sort of convinces you like I love that I love like I love when my world gets bigger I do not like when it gets smaller and narrower um and the best relationships you know even with my friends um is when they say something that I just never you know they show you a new window to the world that you haven't seen um and I feel like relationships all relationships should be like that you know all your close ones they should make you feel like you're growing, you're learning, you're changing, you're more open, um, you're asking more questions. Like it should never feel like you're shutting down and like you're giving, giving and never receiving. Um, and so I think that the relationships are based on friendships, like genuine friendships. Um, you know, I said my husband and I were friends for a couple of years and I really think that's a big part of our relationship is because we're friends and I think he's the coolest boy. Like he's my best friend anyway, besides the fact that I'm in love with him, right? And so I think that's where all the relationships in the book, you know, what are, how, no matter how they start off, they become friends, they like each other. So it's not just love, you really have to just like the other person. And I think that's what I like to put in because I really believe that. I love the way you put that, reading your books, everything you're saying it makes complete sense like your philosophy behind writing because it's true the characters like each other so much and they're great romantically but even if they're before they get together I'm even just living for their friendship that they're having and everything that they're building and talking about when you were saying that the best friendships and relationships the characters like build off of each other and change as a result of talking to each other your protagonist's romantic counterparts contribute significantly to their character development for example x in instructions for dancing shows evie the importance of valuing her loved ones and spending time with them and ollie and everything everything shows maddie the value of spontaneity and taking risks so how do you write character development that occurs as a result of a character hearing their partner's perspective in a way that feels realistic? It's a, like, the characters will make a drastic shift, but it doesn't seem unrealistic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky, right? Because you don't want it to just be convenient, like, oh, now they're changed, right? Um, I try to make the characters stay 
open, you know, and even if and if they're closed off, that's part of what the problem is, right? Part of the problem is that you're, they're not open to seeing the world. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the world is is so big and there's so much information and there's so much stuff going on all the time um, that it's easy to miss things. Do you know, like you got schoolwork, you got healthcare, you got children, you got friends, you got, oh my God, this it's, and the news is crazy all the time. Um, there's just a lot going on and it's just easy to miss that, like that shift in point of view or someone else's point of view or like what's going on with them. And I, I always want the characters to like slow down and be patient and really just sort of lean in and listen. Um, I don't know, that's where it's from. It's like, if you are open to the world, you will see things that you didn't see. Like I recently started trying to learn how to do watercolor painting and I'm terrible, terrible. But I've already, it's been three weeks and I already look at things differently because I want to paint them, right? So you start to notice the shadows and you start to notice that this green is different than that green. Um, and it's just an openness, right? And I think the characters, one of the things they all do is become a little bit more open by the end. Yes, I think we're getting some good life advice from you as well, <laughs> just as a result of hearing your writing advice, talking about being more open. Your books definitely open my worldview and make me see things differently. So oh, that's good. Also, not only is the relationship development in your books realistic, but the dialogue in your books is also incredibly realistic. I'll react to what a character is saying during a moment of dialogue and keep reading, and the other character will say exactly what I was thinking out loud. So how do you craft this realistic dialogue? Um, that is just a lot of revision. Uh, usually when I write, um, the characters do this thing where one person will say something and the, the other character will exactly answer the question, right? Which is not actually how people talk. People talk in tangents all the time. Like if you go to like Starbucks or whatever and sit and listen to people talk, first of all, it's mostly boring. But secondly, they don't answer each other. Like they have their own thing going on in their brain and their own agendas. Um, and if you really pay attention, you can figure out what one person is really talking about and what the other person is really talking about. And not just through actual words, but by their gestures, right? People will say one thing and do a completely different gesture. Like they all like, suddenly they're like hugging themselves or they're, they're really close, but they're saying this other thing. And you're like, oh, that's not how you feel at all. Um, and so I try to put all of that stuff into the characters, like the gestures they're making, what they are thinking versus what they're saying is, is, is a big thing. Um, and you'll see that at the beginning of like, the books where they have conflict, like they're not listening to each other. They're just whatever, they're just at cross purposes. And by the end, they're sort of more in sync. Um, but it's a lot of editing too, because I don't get the dialogue right at first. And it's my favorite part of all the books. If I could write books, with only dialogue, I would, but my editor absolutely will not let me do it. But it's my favorite part. I love, because I'm thinking in my head, I'm answering the question and it's like the funnest part. Funnest is not a word, um, <laughs> but it's like the best part to me. Um, but that takes a lot of vision and stuff to make it sound natural. The revision definitely works because I feel like your characters feel real. And then every time they talk, I feel like they walk off the page. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
So, you know, moving forward, the anthology you contributed to Whiteout recently came out. So how does the process for your short stories in Blackout and Whiteout compare to the um, writing process for your novels, which is, you know, what you started with? Right. Um, well, writing novels is lonely. It's a very lonely, you're like a troll in your house. Like, this is my office here. It's such a mess right now, but you're like a troll and you're by yourself and you're basically living with the uncertainty of writing and it's you know 60,000 words or 70,000 words um for an anthology well you have your friends which is nice right um it's like 7,000 words instead um and you feel this sort of more communal right it's just a different writing experience because we're talking about it we have like a a, a communal doc that we're updating with like this is who's related to who in the story and they're getting from point A to point B. So it's more Angie Thomas always says it's like the best group project, right? Like, you know, some group projects are terrible. <laughs> this one was good. Um, everyone is pulling their weight and we all had like, we're all marching to the same place and you're not so lonely. Honestly, like that's the best part is like, because, you know, in the middle of a novel, it can get, get a lot of doubt. Like I posted about that on Instagram yesterday, but the doubt that you sort of feel when you're in the middle of a book and when you're writing. Um, and it's a little bit less when you have your friends telling you, oh, that's great, keep going or whatever, you know, it's nice. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, you see that in the books too, the importance of, like you said, love, which is more than just a romantic interest. It's family and friends and the people yeah. you keep around you for sure. Yes, this is not on the same scale at all. But when I write something, I show my mom and every time she's like, Lily, that was so good. I'm like, I know you're my mom, but it feels feels nice to hear that. <laughs> so my little girl is 10 um, and she had to write a short story last night uh, for um, her language arts class. And it's terrific. And I, I genuinely mean it, but I think she thinks I'm only saying it because I'm her mama. But I'm like, no, no, I edit books. I know what I'm talking about. But yeah. Writing runs in the family. You have a gene, like the writer, philosoph philosophical gene. <laughs> she's absolutely 100% going to be a writer. She thinks she's going to be like president or an astronaut. She's going to be a writer. <laughs> I can't wait to read her books. <laughs> that leads into our next question, which is that your books hold so much wisdom in them. I'm so glad you've written books for young people because I feel like every one of your readers, myself included, has benefited from reading your books and they're so formative for people. So how do you weave complex themes like loving in spite of grief and learning to take risks in your books in such a raw and powerful way that leaves readers thinking about the world differently? Um, I mean, I guess the thing is like, the job of a writer is to tell the truth, right? That's your job, right? And the truth is the world is complicated, right? And um, young people are dealing with grief. Young people lose people, right? That's a part of their lives. And they fall in love, they get their hearts broken, um, they have friendship breakups, they lose siblings, they get bullied, um, they have complicated feelings for, you know, people, inappropriate people. Like everything that young people are, like adults are, everything that adults are feeling, young people are feeling too, but just for the first time, right? Um, and you just have to be truthful, I think. But that's not, I don't think that that's easy, right? It comes from like writing and rewriting and getting to the, the heart of whatever you're trying to write about. Um, yeah, I mean, 
you just try to tell the truth about people's emotions, right? Like, don't be glib about it. Um, don't take your audience, I mean, take your audience seriously. Like, don't assume that, you know, their feelings aren't genuine um, and, or it's just like puppy love or whatever. It feels real. It is real, in fact, right? Like, when I was in love at 16, I was in love and no one could tell me differently. It's just true. Um, and so you just have to respect your audience, I think, a little bit. Um, and then, and just say the thing, uh, get as close to the truth as you can as a writer. I think that's really appreciated by a lot of people because I think a lot of the teenage experience is first emotion and first everything. And the weight doesn't change because of your age. That's and I right. think people discount that so intensely because, you know, you're 17, it'll, it'll expire when you graduate. Maybe, but that's still a feeling that a lot of people are feeling. And I think that authors who take that and understand it and don't necessarily lessen the impact of an emotion really are the ones who readers appreciate the most because it's not condescending and it doesn't make a reader feel like a child and it it's incredibly validating. So I think that's really appreciated by so many people. Yeah, I mean, and I do think that it's just, you know, you don't want to pat people on the head for the way they're feeling. That's just not, it makes no one feel good. Um, and I think also young people have like a really good like BS detector, right? Like they know <laughs> they're being condescended to and they do not enjoy it. I mean, why would you, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think that people just completely underestimate the capability of people to feel and to understand. And they think that their own feelings are the only feelings in the world. Yes. Which is, you know, sometimes, yeah, it, sometimes it's hard to see beyond the scope of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you know a, a book that shows you oh either that you're not alone or that there are other people feeling in a different way than you are really very very valuable. I agree. You know, transitioning ages, your first adult released one of our kind is going to be published in 2024. How does writing adult thriller and horror compare to YA romance and realistic fiction? <laughs> um, so I just got hit the halfway point of revising this behemoth of a book um it's it is different I I feel like in my books my young adult books have hope the end and and yeah they're just more hopeful <laughs> not to say that this book isn't hopeful but it's a different right because as a young adult you have so much of your life just ahead of you um you know the world is is possibility right there's so many things to do the closer the older you get the more, the shorter that timeline is <laughs> and things start to close down. And I think adults start to close themselves down. One of the lovely things about young adults is that they're so open to the world, right? They're still they're asking questions. They're all quite philosophical, right? Because they're asking questions about the meaning of life and their place in it and how can I change the world? And they still believe in all that stuff. And very few adults <laughs> feel like that, right? Like so many things close down for them and they get so busy and, and they stop asking the questions. And it feels like instead of them doing things to the world, the world does things to them. And so it's a matter of perspective. Um, I think kids are more hopeful. I think my characters are more hopeful in the YA space. Um, so I would say it's a matter of hope. And then some of the themes too, right? Like, you know, in the adult book, the main character has a child, right? I mean, and now that they're not young adults without children, but she's married, she has a child, she's had this big career that's lasted a number of years. And so like just practical things like that too. Um, 
and then I explain less in in the adult book. I just I just don't explain as much as I would tend to in a young adult book. I know I'm very excited to read your adult release. I I like horror books a lot as well as romance books. So I'm glad that you're like branching out so I can read from one of my favorite authors in a genre that I love. <laughs> well, you have to let me know how I do. It's like, it's more thriller. It's like literary thriller. I don't know. I have no idea. Who knows? We're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I just it. know it's going to be good. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're very kind. Oh yeah. I just speak from the facts basically. <laughs> Talking more about what you're doing currently, you and your husband, David Yoon, recently launched an imprint with Random House Children's Books called Joy Revolution. Can you tell us more about it? Yes. Um, wow. Joy Revolution is like our baby. It's um, a thing that we've wanted to do since we met in graduate school. Um, we wanted to like find a way to like publish um, more people of color and more sto stories about people of color. Um, because when we met, we realized, A, we were both romantic goobers. Like, we had all the same favorite rom-com movies, like When Harry Met Sally and The Princess Bride, which is one of the greatest romantic movies ever made, right? Um, you have Moonlight, and there are just so many stories. Um, all the, uh, God, uh, what Meg Ryan films, all the Julia Roberts films, I love them, all of them. Uh, but there are never any people of color in them, right? Like there are, if there are, they're like the sidekick. Um, and you know, the thing I always say is that I fell in love every day in high school, right? Like I, and I love love. And so I know that there are black girls out there who fall in love and have, you know, want these big romances and a big love. Um, and you know, like where are all the hottie Asian boys in these rom-coms? I'm married to one. I know they exist, <laughs> right? So I just think that we need a change. Um, a lot of times when you see stories with people of color, it's like it's like eating your vegetables sometimes, right? Or it's like issue books. Um, and it's about like if it's black people, it's like racism and it's very hard. And obviously we still need these stories because we live in America and America is a deeply troubled um, place when it comes to race and racism. Um, and so I think we do need these books and I think they save lives, but I think you need another kind of book as well, right? So you need the book where it's free of the trauma. And if you are someone who's black or Asian or any or queer or whatever, and you pick up one of these books, you can relax into it and and feel like, oh, this is just going to be a happy story starring someone who has some of the same traits that I do, right? Like the gay character is not going to die first, nor is the Black character. They're not going to end up breaking up, right? It's something, it's like a relaxation, right? It's, it's an acknowledgement that there is more to your life than trauma, because there is. Um, like, I don't wake up thinking about the struggle every morning. Like, if I did, I would seed my life to someone else's perception of me right and I have a great husband I have a great job I have a great kid like can you imagine like I would have to give that all up if that's all I ever thought about and it's not true like no one only thinks about that um so it's sort of the idea for the imprint came out of that desire to be like you know what black people fall in love Asian people fall in love queer people fall in love. everyone falls in love and let's just like make books you know written by this community like starring people of color and, and, and people in this community. And let's just send them out into the world. 
Um, so we like pitched Barbara Marcus, who runs Random House Children's Books, and she said yes. And <laughs> we were like so flabbergasted and so thrilled. And we work all the bloody time, like just all the time. But it's the best thing. Um, like the first book just came out and it was, I mean, it was just great. The book is brilliant. The author is brilliant. We went to the bookstore and saw it on the shelf and we couldn't believe it. Anyway, sorry, I took such a long time to answer the question. <laughs> no, we loved it. I just wanted to say I finished Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute today. Yeah. And it was everything you're saying. It was like being uh -huh. it was beautiful and joyful and just it like gave me all the swoons. And so the banter, yeah. right? Like all the, the <gasps> Britishisms. <laughs> Love it. Oh my gosh. I listened to the audiobook and so I got yeah. to like hear the actors do it. Oh my gosh. It was so funny. I was laughing out loud. It was yeah. perfect. She's great. Talia's great. Yeah, definitely. A lot of what we've been talking about in school recently is casual representation, yes. um, which is something that my, my Lily and I don't go to the same school, but my school is terrible at. So um, in a meeting with the English department, we discussed putting together a list of books with casual representation because so many people from what we've been talking to my classmates about find that there aren't enough books with just what you're saying, just a story about someone like me which is what the whole story is about, or the whole program is about, excuse me. Um, so I think everything from Joy Revolution will for sure be added to this reading list to be added to our library and to make a more accepting community for our school. So I think that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, I think the British call it ordinary diversity. And I, I wrote an article about this a few years ago. I can't remember for who, um, but it is just ordinary. Like, and I, I hate to use the word normalizing, but it's just good to see people as people, right? And not um, a lesson to be learned, right? Like, I'm, no one's here to teach anyone else about like living or whatever. People just want to be, right? People just want to be in love. People want to live their lives and, you know, buy the silly dress or whatever. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't want everyone else's sort of heavy stuff put on top of you. Um, and, and books are a part of that. I think books breed empathy, right? And I think if you pick up a book and another book and another book and the characters don't look like you, but they have all the same emotions and they remind you of yourself, I think it starts to change things like not one book, but maybe a thousand of them, right? You just need more of these stories. I completely agree. And I, although this is on a small scale, I remember being little and every single book about Jewish kids that I would read was about a kid in a concentration camp during the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And it was like a really weird experience. I remember reading like or watching all my Disney Channel TV shows and every kid would go to their grandparents house for Christmas Day. And I remember wanting a book about a Jewish girl who wasn't in a concentration camp because that's horrendously depressing. And I think that's gotten a lot better as I've gotten older and I've been looking for these books actively, but I think that this whole idea of giving people a happy story is wonderful. And I think it's taken a little too long to get there. So I'm, right. I'm happy that it's finally at a point that it can take itself off the ground. Yeah. And I think we, you know, we definitely still need both because we still live in, as I say, ridiculous times. Um, but both is what we need, not just one. I completely agree with you. So as an editor now, what's it like being on the other side of the publishing process, editing another author's work? Um, I don't know. It's pretty cool, actually. Uh, it's nice to see that, you know, we thought there were a lot of authors of color out there writing stories 
about people of color. And we were right, because we get a lot of submissions. Um, and it's really nice to discover another artist, right? To see, oh, you're really good, or you're going to be really good once we edit this. <laughs> um, it's uh, taught me a lot about, you know, sort of finding, because sometimes you get something that there is a gem of a story in there, but it's like overwritten or something. And to be able to find it, like flexes a, a muscle in my brain that I don't get to use that often, right? Um, you can I try to use it on my own writing, but it's hard to see because I'm so close to it. Um, and so it's nice to be able to look at it and go, oh, I see what your story is and I see where you got distracted and try to help tease that apart. Um, and it's just nice to be the person that says, hey, we're going to publish your book. I mean, it's great because it's like usually someone's big dream. Um, it certainly is mine, right? And so like to be able to be part of their publishing journey, like another artist in the world, that's really, really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I it's, it's weird because I find I can totally separate like my own writing from like the writing and reading. Like there's no, I have no conflict. I'm just like, my editor hat comes on and I'm an editor. Like, I don't want to actually change the words. I just, I, I go, this isn't working. Can you, and here's why. And then I let them go fix it. Um, it's been great. I will say. I loved hearing you say that you can see a story that you know will be really good after editing. And I know you were talking before about how you revise your books and that's part of what makes them so great. So that's really cool to hear that things can come together and it doesn't have to be instant, but it can still be a really amazing novel. I mean, it almost, it almost never is instant. Um, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of writers and we all have the first draft sort of blues, right? The first draft is just terrible. And you have to remind yourself that it will at some point be good. <laughs> it's not good now, but one day. Um, and I always say that doubt is part of the process of writing, right? Self-doubt. Um, you just have to make it through that, like the ocean of the middle of a book and get to the end and then you can revise it. But the one thing you cannot revise is a blank page, right? So as trashy as those 300 pages are, you can fix it. You can fix it, but you can't fix nothing, right? So that is like, that is a thing you have to keep in mind. That is like, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> I'm telling myself to keep this in mind. <laughs> I want to get you can't revise a blank page like tattooed on my arm because I feel like that's <laughs> something every young writer every writer in general needs to hear it's very good advice I believe those are all of our questions that we have for you so to end off is there anything you want to say any social media you want to plug any books coming out from your imprint you want to talk about anything like that Oh, yeah, it's nice. Um, well, I'm on, I'm at Nicola Yoon everywhere, except for Twitter, which I detest. I mean, I'm on there, but I never, I never go on there. <laughs> um, and then the next book from Joy Revolution is called Queen Bee. It's by Amelie Howard. It's like, think Bridgerton meets like the Count of Monte Cristo. So it's like big dresses and tea and an intense revenge thing happening. <laughs> and um, of course, there's like a ridiculous amount of kissing in this book. Um, it's awesome. If you um, go look up the cover, it's so beautiful. It's like one of my favorites of the of our books that are coming out. Uh, and yeah, there's like, it's very, it's swoony is what I'll say about it. 
I love tea and I love intense revenge. So you sold me. <laughs> now I have to go to Barnes and Noble and pre-order it. Yeah, it's out on April 4th. I'm looking forward to reading that for sure. Thank you so much for coming on. This conversation was so absolutely delightful. Um, this was such a treat. So thank you. It was very lovely to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on and for your very, very thoughtful questions, you guys. That concludes today's interview with Nicola Yoon. I loved hearing her talk about how she goes into her books wanting to explore more about a certain topic or theme so that when her characters are changing their perspective on that theme over the course of the story, it kind of mirrors some thoughts that Nicola Yoon herself is having on that subject. So the character development is authentic because those are actually thoughts that she's having and it's happening in the real world. I also loved hearing about how she crafts her romances so that the characters are falling in love with each other based on each other's minds and based on the way each other thinks. I just loved that so much and it made it so much clearer to me why her romances are so adorable and shipworthy. I also loved hearing her talk about her new imprint, Joy Revolution, and how she and her husband, David Yoon, started it because they wanted to publish cute rom-coms that starred people of color and people in the LGBTQ plus community. And I can't wait to read every single book that Joy Revolution publishes in the future. I will be linking all of Nicola Yoon's social media down below, as well as places where you can buy her books, and as well as the place where you can check out her books at the library. I will also link where you can check out Talia Hibbert's new book, Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute at the library, as well as places where you can buy it. And I will link places where you can pre-order some of the new titles that Joy Revolution will be publishing this year. Feel free to follow us on Instagram too at keeping.tabs.podcast. Follow us on TikTok at keepingtabspodcast. Subscribe to us on YouTube and write a review of us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you soon with a new one. Also, thank you to Emma from Tab for editing today's episode.